Luke 24, verse 36. The Bible says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Let me provide some context. This is after he's been crucified, after he's been resurrected, and people are starting to say they've seen him. So there's a group of Christians gathered together, and they're saying, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord. Some of them haven't seen him yet, and as they're talking about all of this, Jesus appears in the middle of the room. He didn't knock at the door. He didn't have it open to him. He appears out of nowhere in the middle of the room, and he gives them the simplest greeting of the day. He says, peace to you. It would literally be like us saying, hey, how are you? And he goes on, verse 37, obviously they were startled. They were frightened. They thought they were seeing a spirit, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? Now just pause there for a minute. The last time they saw him, he was dead or dying. And he is now standing in the midst of them. He nonchalantly, literally, very common. He's not making a big deal out of it. There were no, there were no angels. They're gathered in a room. Jesus materializes. He says, hey, it's really me. You can touch me, feel me. And and then he says, hey, I'm, I'm hungry. Do you have anything to eat? It's amazing to me that he brings the supernatural into the most common scenes of our life that he meets you in the mundane with the most explosive realities that a human mind could ever know. So, verse 42, um, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Verse 45 is important. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Lord, do that right now. In Jesus' name, do it, Lord. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Say, Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Friends, I know most of you have heard that passage before, and I don't promise to add anything new to it, but my whole heartbeat today, earlier in the first service and now, is that we might shake the dust off of our awe button. We all have an awe button in our heart, that thing that when it's touched by God, we find him awesome again glorious again, amazing again, astounding all over again. When was the last time God blew your mind? 
When was the last time that the collective church in the Bible Belt here in Metro Atlanta had their minds blown because of something God did or something that he refreshed? I don't believe that we are living. I'm going to speak for me. I'm not living at a level of uh, having a perpetually blown mind with God. And I'm asking him in these days, Lord, return us to that. We have sermons, we have buildings, we have programs, we have platforms, we have media, we have podcasts, we have a ministry for everything, and all that stuff has its right place. But my concern is, is that we, as we build the trellis bigger and bigger, we're missing the vine. And I want the vine, I want the harvest, I want the new wine. And that new wine comes in the person of the Holy Spirit whom Jesus sent right after he did this that we've just read about. There are resurrection streams. It's not a doctrine to be believed. Listen to me. It's not enough to nod your head and say, yes, Jesus rose from the dead. That is not a sufficient encapsulation of what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday. And listen, do all you want with your kids and your eggs and your candy and your hunts and all that. I don't have a religious spirit. Go after it. Have fun with the family. I don't need to have an excuse to go out and do stuff with little kids. But the point is this. The point is that we don't need to nod our heads at the, at the resurrection theology. We need resurrection bursting forth and streaming out of us. That's what's going to make a difference in Metro Atlanta. That's what's going to make a difference in my family. That's what's going to make a difference in this local assembly. And so when Jesus came, now I want you to think about this with me. Good luck following me back there on the projection. I'm just going to roll with it today. The context for all of this was they had spent the last 36 or so hours in absolute heartbreak. Their whole world collapsed, the disciples. They had left everything. Many of them had been healed and delivered and obviously justified and saved through the ministry and the messages of Jesus. And then when they saw him, they said, oh, this is our Messiah. They laid down the palm branches in front of him as he did that triumphant entry into the city and they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And then that same fickle crowd was yelling just a short time later, crucify this one, crucify him, crucify him. And all of the disciples, the women, the men, the strong and the brave, the ones that had stood faithfully and those that had fled away, they were all gathered together. And just a few short hours before, the rumors started coming, coming in. Some of the women had gone to embalm his body and put the spices on him. And they found the stone rolled away and an angel had said, he's not here. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Go into Jerusalem and wait Go tell Peter, go tell the others, go tell the men that the Lord has risen. So the angels testified. Then the women testified. And when the women came to tell the men, the men didn't believe the women. Mark this down. I'm going to say it again. It was actually in the first service. I'm going to say this down. When God wanted to start announcing the resurrection, he picked two sources that many in the American church don't believe should communicate gospel at all. He picked angels and he picked women. And I love the fact that when God wanted to get the ball rolling, so to speak, he humbled the hearts of proud men to say, I'm going to give it to the ladies first because they'll put some passion behind this thing. I think we'll see that again, by the way. I don't think God's done using angels and using women, but that'll keep for another time. So they're in that room and they're debating, they're, they're processing. 
These two disciples had come off of the Emmaus Road. It was late at night. They said, he was walking with us. He was walking with us. Our hearts were burning inside of us while we were talking, but we didn't know it was him. And then when we sat down to eat dinner, he broke the bread and we, we saw it was him and he disappeared. Completely supernatural. So all of this kind of buzz is going on. Some had seen him, some had not. And then the Bible says in Luke 24, 36, as they're talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. He just appeared. He is in a glorified body. He didn't have to have the door opened. He walked through a wall, or he descended through the roof, or he came up from the ground. Who knows? He just had, he didn't have to ask permission of, of natural laws. He was now in his glorified body, operating in full divinity, robed in a glorified body. And he just enters the room and just basically says, hey guys, it's almost that um, calm. It's a little more reassuring than that. And obviously they would have done what we would have done. Our, our minds would have been blown. So the Bible goes out of its way to tell us what, what they were feeling. It says they were startled, they were frightened, and thought they saw a ghost or a spirit. And so look at him, he, he's still shepherding them. In his glorified body, he's still giving them welcoming reassurance. He said, hey, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? Listen, this is the best moment in their lives. And they're like, this cannot be happening. It's, it's too good to be true. They're doubting the goodness of God. God is putting his pinnacle on the earthly mission of Jesus at his first advent. He's putting the, the just the, top point on it and and they're struggling with what he's doing and so he, he makes himself available he by the way if you're a skeptic the church the church really kind of just kind of comes down on skeptics in a way that I don't I don't believe is always fair I, I think sometimes skeptics ask good questions now if you're committed to unbelief you've got serious issues when it comes to the gospel but if you're just wanting to understand as much as you can possibly understand then hallelujah have at it and so what does Jesus do he says look at my hands look at my feet it's really me and then he says touch me and see friends let me just give you this very quickly I think most of us know this Jesus is not floating around in a wispy kind of vapor spirit he's not he literally has a, a fully glorified human body, the same kind of body that he's promised all of us when we leave this life and we see him. The Bible says that when we see him, we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. So when he rose from the dead, it was very important that the message got out that, no, he was physically alive. It wasn't an apparition. It wasn't some kind of vision. He says, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like you see that I have. And so he goes on a little bit further. He says, the, says down in verse number 40, when Jesus had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And I love this because this is you and this is me. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? Now just pause for a minute. I, I just love the word of God because it just, it, it doesn't flatter us. So they went from being petrified and scared and then they're touching him. You know, they're, they're coming over and touching him and they're looking at him and they're walking around him and they're taking a step back, but they still haven't really given themselves to what's happening. The Bible says they're still in some, uh, some frame of disbelief and unbelief, but it's because, it's, notice what it says, it's too good to be true. 
Literally, their joy in their heart is overwhelming the, the thinking in their brain. They can't put it together up here, but they're feeling it right here. Now, friends, I'm going to tell you something. I believe that the closer we get to the Lord, the more you're going to experience moments like that. The death of the church is that we don't want to validate anything we can't explain, understand, or control. And that's why churches aren't experiencing much. Because God goes, well, if, if, if you can understand it, explain it, and control it, it's not going to have a lot of me on it. And so they, they, they're, they're saying, we don't understand this, we can't believe this, but man, this is good. To think that they thought they had lost everything when they woke up that morning, and now they're realizing, we haven't lost anything. It was a temporary loss. This momentary weight of affliction had worked a further weight of glory for them. And so Jesus asks for some, some fish. It's not what you would have written, right? If you were making this up yesterday, uh, maybe yesterday, day before, I was in a discussion with a Muslim man. And um, basically, he just kind of capsulized Christian faith down to a religion that was made up like right here in this season that we're reading about right now, that because they were embarrassed and because the disciples didn't want to come off looking like chumps and because Jesus failed, that was his thing. So therefore, the disciples stole and hid the body, concocted this religion, made up this gospel and presented it, and all of us are fools for having believed it. That was basically what he was telling me. Let me just tell you, if, the, if, if man had made this up, it wouldn't read anything like this. No, number one, the, the first gospel evangelist would not have been women because women couldn't even speak in courts of law and be validated during that time. Number two, um, it wouldn't paint such a raw picture of their struggle to believe and all of their failures and their implosions and listen, all of the disciples forsook them. And number three, there probably wouldn't be a paragraph about him eating fish. That's just not something that if we're making up a story, we're going to throw that in there. But all of it happened just like it is. So Jesus comes to them and he lets all of their senses be impacted. They saw him. They heard his voice. They touched him. And he met them right there in the middle of the mundane. I, I'm going to hover here for a minute. Some of you, and especially if you've been with us the last year to three years, some of you ha have, have confessed to the Lord. I've even talked to some of you before. And, and this, is, this is what we get. We get sometimes, Jeff, I'm just not feeling it. I mean, I saw the kids pogo sticking during worship, man, bow, bow, bow. and I saw the other ladies dancing, and they were twirling, and the banners were out, and they're shouting and everything, and I'm just feeling, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I love the Lord. I, I know he's my Savior, but, man, I, that's, I don't get that. Well, let me just tell you, while you're not getting that, are you meeting him in the mundane parts of your life? When you sit down to a piece of fish, do you welcome him? Do you invite him in the midst of traffic in Metro Atlanta? We did our taxes before April 15th. I believe you can meet Jesus on tax deadline day. Grocery shopping, uh, summer clothes, vacation, in the midst of the mundane, in your little suffocating cubicle at work next to the most annoying coworker in the entire company. Can you meet Jesus in the midst of the mundane? Not all of life is pogo sticking on a Sunday morning. I can't even do that, amen? 
I want to. I'm pogo sticking with my boy and Elijah over there. They're bam, bam. I looked over at Amy. I was like, are they levitating in the spirit? How are they getting up so high? My point being is that I can't do that, but that doesn't mean I can't meet him in the midst of whatever he is allowing me to do. So some of you, stop trying to duplicate what other people are doing and just sit down and meet them around a piece of fish if you need to, amen? See, I'm trying to bless you with that because there's not a prototype for how we interact with Jesus. Jesus is immeasurable. He's alive. He didn't stop being creative when he, he finished the creation. And so he can meet you anywhere that you want to meet him, and he's always good to go. He is always willing, always ready. So don't let your heart be downcast if it doesn't look like a Sunday morning, you know, um, explosion. Most of life can't be like that, but all of life can be with him. So the stream began up there in that thing, in that room, and Jesus just goes out of his way to remove all doubt for them. And then I like this. Jesus does something that helps me so much, and especially those of us that were groomed in a bibliocentric kind of spirit, spiritual atmosphere, and that just means when I got saved, it was Bible, 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 Bible. I, I, I came into the gifts of the Spirit and the works of the Spirit um, several years after I had become a Christian. I, I, I used to not believe in any of that stuff. And then God sovereignly ambushed me in my office one day while I sat down to my normal 4.30 a.m. Bible study. And the Lord said, yeah, that's not going to work for you today. And he moved into my office. And my theology had already shifted, but my experience had not. But my point being is this. I think some of us that are given fully to the Spirit also need to recognize the validity that we need to be anchored in the Scriptures. So watch what Jesus does here. And y'all don't flake out on me because I'm talking about the Bible. When I'm talking about the Spirit, you're like, yeah! Now I mentioned Bible, you're like, Psh, come on now. We need both. Luke 24:44. he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Jesus, when he wanted to anchor their experience, he tried to anchor it in the word. And so he is refreshing them about everything he taught them for the three years that he was with them. He told them no fewer than three times that he was going to be betrayed or handed over to the chief priest, the religious leaders. He was going to be crucified. And he told them that he would rise again. There's no fewer than three times where Jesus is telling them, and he's being very clearly, he's saying, truly, truly, I am telling you this. They're going to kill me, but don't panic. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. And not a single one of them remembered it. Not a single one of them. Is that not you and me? You know what happens? We're cool when we're trucking with the Lord. We're walking with the Lord. He's speaking. He's downloading stuff to us. The Bible's real to us. The Holy Spirit's ministering to us. And then all of a sudden comes the big gray death cloud of unhappy circumstances. It just hovers over us for a while. And it's trouble and it's challenging and it's difficulty and it's people problems or financial problems or health problems. And it's just raining gloom on us. Do you know what happens sometimes when we stay under that cloud? We forget, we forget what he taught us when the cloud wasn't there and so they've been under this cloud I mean it was a significant cloud the master had been crucified and they forgot that he said he was going to rise again so instead of them camping out if they had remembered it would have been lawn chairs in front of the tomb saying any minute now any minute now that's done any minute come on Jesus you said three days but none of them remembered it so they were all surprised at his presence 
Um, I, I love the fact that Jesus doesn't let our slowness to believe regulate how he interacts with us. You know, it, come on. We're, I'm trying to be kind and honest. And that's hard sometimes. <laughs> okay, I'll just, I'm not the swiftest gazelle in the flock. I, I'm sharpest knife in the drawer, brightest bulb in the, you know, I'm not the swiftest gazelle in the flock. I don't, sometimes things are hard for me to process. I, I run with guys that can, they feel the Lord, they sense the Lord, they, they got it, they know what's going on. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I love the fact that the Lord doesn't just say, dude, or Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, you're really showing a pattern of slowness <laughs> in discerning what I'm doing. So how about, how about you go and, and try to manage the B team? Come on, man, just, you know, just go do your thing. He doesn't do that. You know what the Lord does? Um, he doesn't stop but he stretches, and, and he's always speaking. Some of you, listen, some of you feel like you're behind, and you're not. You're just not where you think you should be, but that doesn't mean you're behind. And, and if you are walking with him, you're exactly where you need to be. And so sometimes he has to give you some context. And so what did he do? He just brought Bible to bear on what they were experiencing. And, and I want to tell you something. If you're in a fog, if the cloud of doom is over you, if you're not hearing the Lord with rhema, you don't get a, a precise, fresh word right now, can I just tell you, every time you open your Bible, he's speaking. Every time. Wherever you read, he's saying something. And if you'll stay in there, sometimes what you're not intuiting, listen, this happened to me very recently. I, I was under a cloud that was just not going to budge. And I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm praying in the Spirit. I'm doing everything that I know to do to get the cloud to go. But the Lord didn't want the cloud to go. The Lord wanted the cloud to cast a shadow on everything I was attempting to do in my own power. So I'd eventually surrender and just open the Bible and when I opened the Bible I promise you I, I, I read one passage and thought that's good that's God's word I flipped to another passage and boom he put context to everything that was going on friends as we pursue the Holy Spirit and we will not because he's a you know a magician that does cool tricks that's not what I'm talking about he's God and he is God with us. He is God in us. Jesus is on the throne. The Father is in heaven. The Holy Spirit is God with us. When, when you talk about God on earth, it is God the Spirit. And so we are pursuing God. We need his power. We need his wisdom. We need his love shed abroad in our hearts. And so as we're doing that, and yes, we'll experience manifestations of the supernatural presence and power of God. That is going to happen. We want that to happen. But at the same time, friends, we never put our Bibles on a shelf. We never grow bored with the Word. We, it, I'm going to tell you, that is how you lose your awe of God. You lose your awe of God when you divorce yourself from the Scriptures because then you're chasing the next greatest supernatural hit. And, and friends, God will eventually say, that's enough. I need you. I not, I not only need you filled with your sails filled, I need you anchored. And so he gave them this. And then verse 45. This is important. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
I, it's really a separate message, and I'm, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm just going to give you this, because this can help you today. You and I cannot spiritually understand God nor his word without God helping us. We can't. We got a lot of people in here that have good theological, biblical educations and and pursue and the Lord, but they'll tell you, they'll say, yeah, those letters behind my name and those years in seminary, if it were not for the illumination of the Holy Spirit, I would be dead to my Bible. Um, let, me, let me just give you a few verses. Matthew 13, Jesus talked about religious people. He said, seeing they cannot see and hearing they cannot hear, therefore they don't understand. Because nobody had better Bible training than the very people who called for Jesus' crucifixion. Psalm 119, 18 is a prayer that you, you need to just make a part of your life. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your word. That you, you should literally pray that. Lord, I have the Bible, but I can't have the understanding unless you... And by the way, this is what Jesus was doing. Listen, I don't, it doesn't say how he did it. It just says that he did it. He opened their minds to their scriptures, to the Jewish Bible. He opened it. Acts 26, when Jesus was commissioning Paul, this is what he told Paul he was going to do. Paul, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they can turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So listen, we can scream the gospel at people. We, we can cram salvation plan after salvation plan down their spiritual throats. We can threaten them with hell. We can entice them with heaven. We can tell them all the great stuff that Jesus is going to do for them and all the terrible things that will happen if they reject them. But do you know what? They can't believe until God opens their mind to the gospel. So we have got to wait on the Lord even in our evangelism. We've got to be faithful. We've got to be proactive. And we're going to see that at the end of this message, which is coming up in about eight minutes. We're going, to, we're going to see that even in delivering the gospel, unless God is at work, nobody gets saved. One of the reasons that we worship is because we're a sending station not only to the nations, but to our neighborhoods. The reason why we prioritize the place of prayer is because we meet with God there. And we have prolonged opportunities, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to meet in, a, in the presence of God, to call out to him so that we are centered in him, so that we're not leaving that room and going out into the neighborhoods and the nations in our own power and our own strength. But we're saying, I am dependent, for every, I'm dependent on you, Lord, for every syllable that comes out of my mouth. If it's going to be effective, it's got to have your oil on it. And so Jesus is telling this to Paul, and then, of course, Clearly, Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has, for which he has created you. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's what we pray when we gather in here. That's what you pray when you open your Bible. And I'm going to promise you something. If, if, you're, if you're in that place that you're still in that season, you say, yeah, I don't like to read. The Bible is boring. Pray that. But I'm going to tell you, you start getting revelation on the written word, it's not boring. It's, uh, do y'all read your Bibles? Because it's seen a little flat in here. I'm, listen, I'm, I'm being serious. When, when God starts speaking to you from the scriptures, 
It's not boring. It's amazing. You start bothering people because you got to find somebody to tell what he just showed you. And, and you become like that annoying person that's waiting in the lobby, just looking for somebody to come by. Hey, I got to tell you something. God, God, show me something. I'd rather have that person than the person that yawns at the scriptures. Amen. So let me get down to the end of this. You say, yeah, please do. Okay, I'm going to. Verses 46 and 47, Jesus talks about this, this prophetic hope. He says, it's written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And here you go. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. When Jesus emerges from the tomb and in his first real gathered meeting with those who were faithful to him, he says, yeah, the the thrust coming, the stream coming off of my resurrection is that there's a message that's going to go out to all the nations. There's a, there's a message, and the message is repentance, which means changing the way you view God, changing your heart posture towards God, looking at yourself and your sin through the lens that God provides, not the lens that your culture provides and then agreeing with God and then turning from those things and turning to him. And the, and the result of that is that your sins are forgiven. Church, hear me on this. We must be proclaiming forgiveness of all sins in the name of Jesus. The days where the church was so confident in their place in the culture in America. Those days are over. And you know what? A lot of those days, not everybody. I wasn't saved back then, so I'm, I'm not trying to cast stones, but I am trying to be accurate. There was a whole lot of finger pointing from the church. We were better known for everything we were against than we were for proactively, lovingly preaching the gospel to people so their sins could be forgiven. And so just in case you're wondering, if, if, if you attend here and, you, and you're part of this family or you're over at the prayer room, you will regularly hear us speak about God's holiness and man's sinfulness. And we're unapologetic for that. But we would have you to know that our motivation is twofold. One, to glorify God because he is other than us. He is distinctly holy, 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 immeasurably so. We bow before this holy God because we know we're not. And yet this holy God has moved to us through his son Jesus in immeasurable compassion and mercy therefore when we talk about sin it's not so we can trap you there and condemn you it's so that we can expose that thing and invite you to come out of that sin and the prison that it holds you in and so I know what the nasty sins of our culture are, and I know how churches are known for railing on them. And I want to tell you, if, if you struggle with one of those sins and, and you come in, in places like this and you just expect some, some red-faced preacher to scream about you how you're going to hell, that's not going to happen here. I'm going to tell you the truth and say this. Nobody has to go to hell. Nobody, not the unrighteous nor the self-righteous, not the immoral nor the person that trusts in her morality, not the religious or the irreligious. Nobody has to, but everybody has to repent before God on his terms. 
And when you do, here comes the stream of cool, refreshing water proceeding from the throne of God and that heavenly temple coming to find you and your sins are washed off of you and taken away and you become a new creation in Jesus. And that's for anybody and everybody. And today, no matter who you are or where you are in that, in that spectrum, I, I will tell you today, Jesus loves you more than he loved his life on earth. Will you love him more than you love yourself? That is the test. It all boils down to, will I love and trust Jesus more than I love and trust myself? And when that repentance comes, the forgiveness comes behind it. So worship team, y'all come on up and let me just hit these last few verses. So Jesus tells them in verse 48, he says, you guys are my witnesses. They were the first witnesses. It's not a crew you would have picked. They had all just in previous hours abandoned and denied Jesus. He says, I want you. His army has always been made up out of failures that he turns into the faithful. And we're, we're serial stumblers. We, we blow it from time to time. I want to encourage you, if you're in a season where you're nursing your wounds over some implosion or some failure, hey, listen, God bless you. The blood of Jesus has come and been applied to those sins, my Christian friend, and it's time for you to stop nursing them. And it's time for you to step back into what he's called you to do. He's ready. He's, he's calling you. Time's too short for you to be on the sidelines. And then he says this. He says, behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. So stay in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. Jesus is beginning to tell them, I'm, I'm going back to the Father. You go hang out in Jerusalem. You'll know when the power comes. And that's Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit comes and all heaven breaks loose. And then in verses 50 and 51, I'm just trying to get to this part. So, so it's time for Jesus to go back to heaven. Not an easy moment for the disciples. Not, not an easy moment because they just got him back a short time earlier. And so he leads them out. This is 40 days later. He leads them out as far as Bethany. And this is so interesting to me. They're all in front of him. He's standing singularly. And he just lifts up his hands and he blesses them. And we know from his encounter with Thomas, who really struggled to believe, those, those holes were in his hands. So when Jesus lifts them up, the last thing that their eyes are beholding is they're listening to him bless them. Maybe he gives the ironic blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And they hear that blessing coming from the Son of God, the glorified Son of God, as they're looking at the holes in his hands that made them right with the Father. And then the Bible says in verse number 52 and 53, that, or by the way, verse 50 and 51, he, he, he just was, he parted from them. I mean, come on. It's, he's, he's there, he's blessing them, and it's a... And one of the other gospel writers says they stood there just kind of... John, where'd, John, where'd he go? I don't know, just keep looking, keep looking. And they're standing there long enough to where God sends two angels. And the angels say, why are you looking up there? As you've seen him ascend, watch this, he will return. He will return. There's nothing we want more, right? 
Is there, come on, stand to your feet. Is there anything we want more than that prophecy to be fulfilled in our lifetime? I want to see the Son of God. I can't be satisfied until I see the one who saved me. I can't be satisfied until I see the one who died for me. I can't be satisfied until I see the one that secured eternal life for me when he rose from the dead. I can't be satisfied until I hear with glorified ears his eternal voice. I can't be satisfied with anything in this world, the best that this world has to offer. Every single one of us that are born of the Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us crying out, Abba, Father, we want proximity to you. We want to be with you, Lord, no longer by faith, but by sight. Those Sri Lankan Christians that died today, those brothers and sisters will never need faith again. They are there by sight. Brothers and sisters, let's me and you endure. Let's press on. Let's press through. Let's not give up. Let's not come up short. As ones that are anchored in the word and filled with the spirit, let us continue to press on until we step into the finality and the fullness of our inheritance. Father, in the name of Jesus, the resurrected son of God, who is king over every king and Lord over every Lord. I pray that you'd move right now on the hearts of those who do not know your son. Move strongly, Holy Spirit, right now with an invitation to be reborn, to be made new, to be made clean, to leave orphanhood and come into adoption and sonship, to know that they have a father who loves them and cares for them. Holy Spirit, move on those hearts right now. Open the eyes of their understanding. Give them revelation concerning the gospel. Let them say yes. Awaken their hearts. Awaken their hearts. Awaken their hearts, Lord. And Father, as they say yes, seal them with the Holy Spirit of promise. Give them the down payment of their inheritance. Let them know that they are yours, beloved forever and ever and ever. And Father, for those that have already experienced that, help us to regain our awe and our wonder. Help us not to shrug on Resurrection Sunday. Help us not to yawn at the amazing news that the Son of Man, who is the Son of God, sits on a throne ruling the cosmos and knows our name and knows where we are today. Jesus, we glorify you. We praise you. We worship you. And we ask, Lord, along with John the Beloved, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. In your name, amen.